Good morning. It's so good to be here in the house of the Lord, to be, well, actually in the auditorium with the house of the Lord, with all the people here. We said it over and over. Church is not a building. It's a group of people. It is the body of Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, according to the New Testament. Jesus doesn't reside in a building. You are the building that he resides in. He loves to come into you, come into me, and take up his dwelling place, because in here is where we have our most struggle. Not out here is a struggle, but I don't know about you, but most of my struggle happens right in here and right between these two things. It can be a battle, can it not? And so uh, we've been in a season of prayer, 21 days, and welcome to the 22nd day of 21 days of prayer. And for those of you who don't get that, prayer is not just a season. It's a way of life. It is a, it's a, so prayer should never be our last resort but our first response to everything. So when things come at us, when, 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 when doubt begins to try to tell us that something can't happen the way we believe God's telling us it can, or when things in our lives look less than what God wants, our first response is not to go, oh no, Lord, it's to go, oh yes, Lord, with you all things are possible. And so we pour into that. So prayer is simply, us conversing. And by the way, it's not us inviting God into our conversation or our world. God's already here. It's, it's really God's already here. He's fully aware of everything going on. It's really God inviting us into what he's doing and what he's wanting to do and what he's saying. And so I want us to always remember God draws us to the place where we converse with him, where we get to have fellowship, where we have relationship with him. And so we've been in this season and talking about prayer, but it's not our desire to talk about prayer. Yes, it is to give instruction and give information, but it's always with the, with the understanding that, hey, I want you to pray more. And I want you to pray about everything. Matter of fact, in, um, in Ephesians 6, 18, it says this, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So now for you, I don't know about you, but for me, that sets me free that I'm not limited to pray in just one way. I, there's all kinds of prayers that we go through, and we've been looking at some of those. And so we've been encouraged. Paul says, hey, do that, all of them. Just continually do that. And he goes on to say, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. In other words, the reason Paul says that, the reason we're supposed to pray all the time for all people is because... All people need all prayer all the time. I don't know about you, but I need it all the time, not just every now and again. And that's why Paul says, hey, I'm one of the ones. He actually, we're not going to go there, but the next verse, he actually asked, y'all pray for me. I need it. And I'll go ahead and tell you as pastor, pray for me. I need it. Some of y'all go, yes, amen. I know that. But still, it is the truth. We all need to continually pray for each other and pray with each other. And so I just want to uh, let you know there are ways to keep on going. So uh, this one was prayer and fasting. And I want to tell you something. I love fasting sometimes. <laughs> and there, so, so with, with prayer and fasting, there's three disciplines, 
Spiritual disciplines that Jesus mentions in Matthew 6. We're not going to turn in our Bibles there this morning, but there's three real simple that he, he says there, when you do there, there are win. W-H-E and when we do these three things, we win, W-I-N. And the three are, he says, when you give. Not if you give, but when you give. And that's not simply money. That's your time. That's your talents, your treasure. When you give. And he says, when you pray. So there's a, there's a season like, hold it. You mean when I give, when I pray, not if I pray. And then also when you fast, not if I fast. And so these three disciplines connect us to God and to each other. And so when I'm, when I'm giving, I'm giving out of a heart of gratitude because everything I have, it's been given to me by God. Whether I acknowledge or not. It's been given to me, and it's been given to you. The strength, the wisdom, the, the understanding you have at the job you do or, or, or the business you own, God's blessed you with that, and so he continues to bless you, and so it's really a thing where we honor him in that. And so when we give, when we pray, and when we fast, and like I said, fasting, man, I'm so, I'm so I, I love doing it, but I don't love doing it. In other words, I don't love denying myself. And I don't know about you, but when, when, I, when I tell my flesh no, my flesh gets mad. It gets mad. It's like, I can't have what? And so, I, so when you ride, like, like before, I'll be riding down the road praying many times. I don't listen to the radio much at all. It's like, I don't need to do that. I got the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I got the host of heaven talking to me. Why do I need to listen to some lesser thing sitting here trying to tell me something? But... When I was riding down the road through these last days, all of a sudden I caught my gaze kind of, instead of going this way, going. Like every restaurant, like, I like eating there. <laughs> I like that there. <laughs> but it always brought me back to the fact that Jesus, I need you more than what I need that food. Lord, I need you to move in my life. I need you to move in my church. I need you to move in the life of people. There are people struggling in real situations that need a move of God. And so I always say it, this prayer and fasting does not move God closer to me. Prayer and fasting moves me closer to him. Especially because with fasting, I think I'm going to die anyway. I, I'm coming. I'm going to see you any second because I, I ain't going to make it. <laughs> but prayer helps me offset that. And so we've been doing this, and I want to encourage you. There's a number of ways. We have a prayer meeting that meets every uh, Monday night here. Bill Kofer, one of our elders, and his wife, Lindy, they host that. Dan and Dee Dee Gableman, they host one here on Thursday nights. You can be a part of that. We have one that meets here Sunday mornings at 9. You can be a part of that. And by the way, we're going to be starting next week. We'll start our small group semester. You can start a prayer small group if you'd like to. We don't mind that either. That would be a good one, too. And, uh, and so we know that everything, I'm, I hope you've come to the place and realize that everything you have comes through a relationship with God, and that is through conversations and through us listening and talking with him and spending our time hearing what he has to say, not just what we have to say to him. And so I, I want to challenge you, um, the season's not up, it should be a lifestyle, and hopefully after 21 days, I know some did it here on campus and some did it in your home. Whatever, whichever way you did it, it doesn't matter as long as you are praying. But I hope you develop this habit, this, this attitude that, man, Lord, I just need you. I, I love you. That it wouldn't be a bother or a burden, 
but that it'd be a joy and delight that we get to, he, he invites us into that. And so we're going to, today I'm going to finish this up talking about prayer. And we've looked at it. We looked at prayer. We looked at fasting. We looked at prayer of repentance. We looked last week, uh, one of our elders, Elder Eads, did a thing on prayer for the lost and prayer for how precious life is. This morning, I'm going to close with probably not the most um, uplifting one, but it is when you look at it. And that is the prayer of the broken. The prayer of the broken. Because... In this world, ever since Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, because of their disobedience, because they thought they needed something else other than what God had provided. Like there is, they're in perfect relationship, harmony, and because of the enemy of our souls convinced them that they were not enough yet. They need something else, and then you'll be okay. They took the fruit, they, they, they took the bait, they bit the fruit, and because of that, ever since then, the very first ones in the Bible where it, where it describes their brokenness, now till every person born today, we live in this thing called a broken world. Now, I'm thankful that Jesus came in the middle and said, hey, I've come to restore this broken place. I've come to bring life where there was death. I've come to bring hope where there was hopelessness. I've come to bring life. And that's what he says in John 10, 10. The thieves come to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you may have life. But how many of you know that sometimes that we go through struggles in the process of getting to that life and experiencing that life? And I know um, as we were, we had people writing down their prayer requests. Without a doubt, one of the most asked things to pray for was pray for my family. Pray for my family. It was without a doubt, by far, we did, we have prayer for healing and we are praying for many people that are battling uh, life-threatening illnesses in our congregation right now and we're standing with them and uh, those who have made their request known and those who have privately asked, we are praying and believing God to transform lives, to, to, to break in to our human conditions that are very real and God, show yourself strong on their behalf. But number one, I, I want to I go through these three things. I'm going to look at just three scenarios real quick. Um, in the Bible, the, the Bible's full of broken people. By the way, I always like to say this, God only uses broken people. That's it. That's all he has to work with. There's only one person, and he was broken for our transgression. <laughs> he was, because of our iniquities, he was broken, but it wasn't because he was weak. It was because he chose to lay his life down, and that's our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, as we look at this, I want to look at three scenarios in Scripture, three real-life situations. And the first one is, some of you are familiar with, it's these, these brothers that are called uh, Jacob and Esau. Some of you are very familiar of Jacob uh, and his situation coming from Isaac. That was Isaac's son. And as a result of, 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 of Jacob, uh, Isaac having two sons, Jacob and Esau, there was something that happened. Was, and it, when I look at scripture, I look at talking about how important family is, is the building block of society. And I think of even in scripture, the very first murder that took place was between two brothers. And all it was based on was simply this. One of them didn't like what the other one was doing. And it was because he challenged him. He was the good one. Matter of fact, 
When, when we look at Cain and Abel, it was simply Abel just said, man, I'm just giving the best I got to you, Lord. He wasn't worried about Cain. He wasn't looking at him. He was just saying, God, I'm, whatever I have, I'm going to give you the best of all that I have. Cain, on the other hand, is like, I want to keep the good stuff for myself. And because of that, he looked at Abel prospering, and he got jealous, and he could have made one simple choice going, you know, I think Abel's got something going here. I think I'm going to do what he does. But how did he deal with the situation? I'm going to take him out, so I ain't got to look at him anymore. And I want to tell you, family can be a struggle. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll put it this way. Most of us have been hurt the worst by our family. And the reason is, is because we love them so much, but yet at the same time, it can be a big struggle because we all are, there again, we're fallen creatures. We're broken. And because of that, many times we do that. So when we look at, uh, at Jacob and Esau, I want to look real quick. We're going to read just through these scenarios real quick, these real life situations. And Genesis 25 is where we see in 24 through 28, this is where the birth happens. And in verse 24, it says, when the time came for her birth, there were twins born, born twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. All right. Where's all my redheads? Here we go. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. <laughs> I love it. I love how the Bible gives descriptive detail. They named him Esau. Do you know what the name Esau means? Hairy. That's what it means. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so all you hairy men out there, don't worry. God created that. And you can celebrate and said, oh, no, I got to wax everything. No, don't do that. He did that. So anyhow... He said, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. I'm going to get a, already in the womb. They're struggling like, mm. So his name was Jacob. Y'all know what the name Jacob means? <laughs> deceiver. No, <laughs> it means grabber. Like he's grabbing a hold, but it means deceiver, that he's deceiving. Uh, he goes on, and we'll see why. It's kind of um, prophetic that he's doing that. But he goes on, and he says, so his name was Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. Here he, he could have been, he could have fit right at home in southeast Georgia. Can I get anybody to say amen? <laughs> like he could be a hunter, like, hey man, I, I can he, he go hunting, skin a buck, go run a trot line. Yeah, we know a country boy can't survive. All that good stuff. He'd have been right. In there, enjoying it, having a good time. And so he goes on. He became a skillful hunter. And, uh, but while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Now, it wasn't mean that Jacob was bad or anything. Just like, hey, I like it here. You go ahead and rough it out there, Esau. Go for it. Isaac, um, who had a taste for wild game. And this is where the, the, the struggle began. You kind of see it playing out. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebecca, mama, loved Jacob. Does that not set the stage for, uh-oh, something is going to go wrong. Something is not going to work out well. Daddy be loving. Hey, Esau, go get me. <clears throat> go get me some of that Vincent and fix it the way you like it. Just, like, just get some of that. And you got mama over here. You just stay right here with mama, Jacob. It's all right. Mama loves you. You know, so there's this, this battle that begins to form already. And then we're going to... So many of you may be aware, may not be aware, what ended up happening is Jacob and um, Rebecca decided, you know what, they were going to cheat 
Esau, the firstborn, out of his birthright and then out of his blessing. And I know in our culture, birthright and blessing don't mean nearly the same thing as it did back there. Birthright back then, the firstborn, he was it, man. He, he was king. Like whoever he is, he's going to take over. He's going to receive the coronation of whatever dad has. It gets passed on to you and then on to the others. And the blessing the same way. So it was a firstborn blessing that, uh, and it was very, something to be cherished, to be honored, and to be reverenced to say, I want that. Well, we found out, just to kind of paraphrase to save us a little time this morning, Esau actually sold his birthright to Jacob over a, a, a little bit of stew. So Jacob may not have been out hunting, but Jacob stayed home and was fixing a little stew while Esau had been out there hunting. He came home and he didn't catch any, didn't quite get anything. He came home famished. He'd been out there doing Jacob like, how you doing, man? <laughs> he just got it all fixed up. And he was hungry and famished and thought he was about to die and asked his brother, hey, Jacob, man, why don't you share some of that stew? He said, oh, you mean this old stuff? You mean you want some of this? <laughs> and he said, I tell you what, I'll, I'll let you have some if you'll give me your birthright. And Esau must have been really famished. He must have been really hungry because he said, Okay, take it. I'm hungry. So I, I, I haven't had a meal yet that I would kind of put it in that category. I've had some good ones, but I don't know if it's been that good. But he, he ends up taking it. And then we, a little later, where he ends up actually, where his, through the help of his mother, they deceived even Isaac to make him think that, uh, that Jacob was Esau. They even wrapped a, 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 a goat's hair around his arm. So when he aimed the belly, hey, you sound like Jacob. But you feel like Esau, you hairy little joker. And then he said, so his, but he, he is able to fool him with the help of his mother. So now when Esau comes in come from the field because his dad told him to go fix him a meal, he liked and he was going to bless him. Jacob had already stole, the deceiver had already deceived his dad and stole his blessing. And in verse, in chapter 27, this is where we see verse 41, it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Them ain't just fighting words. Them are words that you go and say, what? His mother heard that and said, hey, I got to get Jacob out of here. He ain't going to make it. And so what ended up happening, Jacob went on a 20-year journey. So let me say this. Jacob and Rebekah built this. Like this wasn't something that just happened. I know sometimes in life we do things and say things that we really don't mean, but these were very intentional actions that they took to rob Esau of both his, uh, his birthright and his blessing. And because of that, it caused him to harbor bitterness, resentment. And this is something that happened 20 years ago. And many times in our lives, things happen, and we just get distracted, and we put them off on the side, and we're like, oh, that's no big deal. I'll do, yeah, I ain't got to deal with that. I'm just going to go on my life. And, and Jacob did. He went and married not just one woman, two, two sisters, had children by him, and he's going on. But then something happened. Abraham died, and he had to deal with the fact that Esau's going to want to come and mourn dad. He's going to want to come and he's going to want to pay respects, and I'm going to have to deal with the man that I cheated out of his blessing and his birthright. And this is where Jacob begins to realize, 
uh-oh, I've got to deal with this now. I'd put it off. I had, I'd, I'd been busy raising flocks. I'd been busy raising a family. And now I've got to deal with it. In chapter 32, we see where Jacob has a prayer. It wasn't until this moment that he realized he, he wasn't praying for this at that time. You don't see anywhere in Scripture where he, he's like, oh, help me with Esau. Help me. Lord, forgive me what I did for Esau. It's not until he's confronted with it that he has to deal with it. And he says this in chapter 32, verse 9. It says, then Jacob prayed, oh, God, my father, uh, uh, oh, God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, Lord, you said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Do you see at this moment he's realizing all that he has and all that he's got, he's realizing, I didn't deserve this. I cheated my way into this. I actually um, took it from my, from my actual, my older brother. He goes on to say that uh, I, had my own, uh, I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which he cannot, which cannot be counted, passing the blessing of his grandfather, Abraham, down to him. Now, as we look at this, we see that the reality began to set in and all of a sudden, a prayer out of brokenness comes in and says, I blew it. Now, we're not going to go through all the details on this because there are so many, but I do want you to see that Jacob, and many of, her, many of you are familiar with this, Jacob had a moment where he was alone. Like he sent his two wives up and he separated them so that in case Esau did attack, maybe one of them could get away. Like, hey, y'all go ahead and take the beating, but y'all go ahead and run. And so it was really a, really a rough place for him to be at. But when he, when he looks at it and when he begins to, to see, he's left alone as he's beginning to send them off in their different directions. And it's where we see where, where, where Jacob wrestles with God. Really, it's more, I mean, theologians, some believe it was just a, uh, it, it was a myriad. He's like, ah, some believe it was very, I believe that he wrestled with God. He wrestled with an angel. That he came in contact with the supernatural because he needed supernatural help. Because he was at a place he'd never been. He was promised last time, you're going to die if I see you. And as a result, he says, I'm not going to go thinking about just Esau. Lord, I got I to gotta get it straight this way first. And I want to say to us this morning, number one, like I said earlier, prayer is not our, our last resort. It's always got to be our first response. When we're faced with difficult situations, even with family, and I prayed for so many families, and I'm still believing that God's going to restore, because I know what it is in my own family and in my own life to have discontent, to have distraction, and to have people that are, we're torn away from, to, hey, Lord, we want them, we want to be brought together. And so when, when Jacob, and in, in that same verse, skipping down to verse 24, and so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, I just want to say, Jacob may not have been the rough, burly type out in the woods, but the boy had stamina. <laughs> like, he's wrestling, and it goes the day. Like, I don't know anybody in here, any of y'all, y'all used to wrestle. I had two older brothers. I used to spend wrestling with both of them. They were, one was two years older than me, one was three years older than me, and I could never 
They could never wrestle each other because they'd kill each other because <laughs> they were just one year apart. So they had their little brother, Mark. And it's like, hey, let's wrestle Mark. <laughs> let's both take a shot at him. Now, they didn't realize what they were doing. They were developing a little wrestle machine because it, it was setting me up for youth ministry. Because back in the day, all the guys would want to wrestle. I'm like, well, let's go. How many? There's only four of y'all? Man, y'all better get a few more. And they'd see this little guy, and I'd pile them up on top of each other. Like, that's all y'all got? I mean, <laughs> but anyhow, so they wouldn't. And so I would sit there. I'd get on top of them. And y'all, it was such a fun time. Because... Even though I was raised Catholic and we didn't study the Bible as much, but I studied stories and I love the story of Samson because I, I, I always pictured Samson would be somebody about my size just because it says they were always amazed. Like when you carry the city gates and you're like nine feet tall and you're all, and you carry city gates, you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah don't mess with him at court. But if somebody my side goes up and they yank the city gates down and they go dragging them off, like who was that? What? Is somebody carrying those gates, you know? It, that's just my own interpretation. It doesn't say that. It does not give his height or anything, Samson. So that, it just said he had long hair and he had a Nazarite vow. He didn't take wine or anything. So anyhow, that's my take on it. But it, I always think, so when we'd wrestle and one of them be on me, and I'm like, and, and this is literally what they would say. And if you watching, Mitch, Mike, you in heaven, I love you, but Mitch, you know it's the truth. They would say, don't hurt him. I want to have a turn. <laughs> And so they'd be on me, I'm like, and I'd be on the bottom, I'm like, and then they'd get him, I'd say, look, God, give me strength, you know, I'm sorry, you know, breaking it out, like Samson's coming off the ground, and, all, and then they, they'd be panicked, like, come on, get him, get him, he's getting up, he's getting up, happened every time, but I never did quite get all, both of them taken care of, but I just say that to say this, Jacob had some stamina to wrestle all night with this heavenly being and it says when the man saw that he could not overpower him like this guy's not letting go he touched the socket of Jacob's hip cheater yeah like I can't get off of him bap it said he touched his hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the with the man then the man said let me go for it is daybreak can you imagine a heavenly being like man let me go I'm tired I've been doing this all day let it go but Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It's not going to happen. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered, and I love what happened because of his wrestling. This, this deceiver, this grabber that was deceiving and got what he wanted through deceptive means. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Israel means God contends, God protects, God comes on. That's what Israel does. That's what it means. He says, your name. So if you ever think of praying for the nation of Israel, this is where it was founded. An angel said, change Jacob's name. Your name shall be called Israel. God protects. God, uh, God is the one that contends. It says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you want to ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. It goes on to say the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of the hip. He had a, a, a battle wound, like, and I've seen that happen over the years where different one play sports, and they, they get hurt, like, yeah, that was from this one. You know, guys have a great way of, yeah, that would happen here. Show a scar, show this, this is my battle wound. But Jacob carried that the rest of his days because 
He dared to say, I need you, God. I can't just go through this. I do not want to meet my brother in the shape that my life is right now. I've got to have you move in my situation. And just to let you know, he met Jacob. Jacob met Esau, and it was completely different than what he said. We're not going to read that. I'm going to let you go home and read that this afternoon. It's a powerful one where, where Esau was, he came up and gave him a big hug. He thought he, he brought 400 men. He thought he was going to take him out. He came to hug him. He came to say, man, I forgive you. I understand because God had blessed him and made him a great nation and helped him out. So I'll just say this. In this instance, when we go this way, God's doing more than you and I could ever do. If we'll simply go that way instead of me trying to handle it. Matter of fact, Jacob actually tried to give him a big offering of all kind of animals. And here, I'm going to make it easy on you so you'll have to forgive me. And Esau said, I don't need that. I got my own, man. You keep them. He, had, he did convince him to do it. The next one we're going to look at, we're going to jump to the New Testament real quick. And we're going to go to a man that many people are familiar with. We don't know his name. All we know was his dad's name. And it was a blind man. And this was in Mark. It's found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, uh, and Luke, the, the Synoptic Gospels. We're going to switch and go ahead. And by the way, when we're jumping all the way from Jacob and Esau to, to blind Bartimaeus, there's a lot of people in situations, there are too many for me to mention this morning, of broken situations where God showed himself strong on behalf of them. And it said, so in, in, Matthew, in Mark 10, 46, just six verses here, it says, then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. We don't know his name. We just know he was the son, Bar, of the man Timaeus. And he goes on, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Isn't it amazing? Here this man that really needs help and they're walking. This man's blind, can't see anything. He just wants to get some attention. He just wants to, hey, Jesus, I can't see. I don't know where you're coming. I don't know where you are. He begins to yell, and they're like trying to shush him. Anybody here ever been shushed? <laughs> it's not fun, is it? One of them are like, shh, shh, be quiet, shh. I'm like, man, you shush me. I'm going to get louder. Don't. And I love what Barbara's like, I don't take to shushing so much. So I'm, he begins to yell more, and that's what the scripture says. Son of David, have mercy on Jesus. And so he, he actually said, oh, you want me to be quiet? He yelled all the louder. He got his attention. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So it's amazing how this crowd that was trying to shush him, all of a sudden, they're going to be friends. <laughs> hey, he's calling you. The very one you were trying to shut up and try to keep him to be quiet and shushing, he, Jesus recognized him. He said, Hey, hey, he's calling for you. Go ahead. Come on now. They're going to be friendly to him and take him over there because he can't see. And it says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up to his feet, came to Jesus, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you. If I'm standing in front of somebody blind, it's kind of obvious what they're wanting. But Jesus didn't take anything for granted. He had to vocalize what it is. What are you after? What are you expecting? What are you wanting me to do for you? And he goes on. He says, um, the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately received his sight. 
and followed Jesus along the road. Now, interesting fact, Jesus, we know in Scripture, healed three distinct. That's just in the Bible. We know there are many others he healed, but three people he healed of blindness. One of them, he actually, in, in three different ways. One of them, he spit on the ground and made mud and stuck it in his eyes. I felt sorry for that one. You know, when I read through that, I'm like, oh, you got the mud treatment. Oh, okay. Uh. <laughs> one of them, he laid hands on him, and he said, after he laid hands on him and prayed for him, the man said, and it made reference that, hey, I think, I think that you, he might have been able to see, because he said, I see men as trees. And if he'd been born blind, he wouldn't know what a tree looked like. Just, so apparently he may have. And so... That one, he had to pray. Jesus prayed for him again, and then he got his clear sight. This one, he didn't touch him. He didn't lay hands on him. He didn't make mud. He said, your faith has made you well go, and he did that. And now finally, the last one, and, and then I'm going to wrap this all up in a nice bow, and I got three things I want you to leave out of here with, talking about prayer, because each of these cried out to God. Each of these were reaching out saying, if this, what I'm dealing with is beyond my own ability to handle. The third one is found in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. There again, this is in, in the other gospel. And it says, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left at his house, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, Carrier, uh, carrier carried by four of them. So it wasn't just one, four people. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat, uh, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to this him, Thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to demonstrate I got this power. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I'm praying for those exact instances where, where God would move in such a way through us, individuals here, through God, his, through God would use us, his chosen people that have chosen him first. He chose us, and then we accepted the call and said, Jesus, I recognize you died for me, and I choose as an act of my will to give my life to you. I want him to use us to do the same thing in these days and, and see miracles begin to happen. We've seen some to some degree, but I believe God has more for us and is going to do it through us. And there's three things that I said I want you to leave with. And they're real simple. In all of these, in all of the stories, really, there's three things that we need. And the first one is pursuit. If you want to take notes, you can write it down. Pursuit. Like we're pursuing something. Everybody is pursuing something. When you go through something, you're, you begin to look for help. And, and I want to say what you pursue 
And how you pursue is a lot to do it because pursuit puts in mind that, hey, what am I looking to or who am I looking to to be the one that helps? And I love it how Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, is my first pursuit to say, God, what are you saying and what are you doing in this instance, in this situation? God, I need you. I need your help. Lord, my first thing is, yes, I do need to talk. Uh, I believe that in, in, my, in whether it's a, a relational healing having to do with family and friends or whether it's a physical healing that something's going on in my body, whichever it is, my first pursuit has to be, God, I need to hear from you. I need to experience you because me in and of myself, I'm not enough. But God, you and all of who you are is more than enough. And so I'm either going to pursue, hey, and I I love doctors. Let me say this because I know there's been some other teaching that have basically eliminated the profession of that God, that Jesus acknowledged. Jesus said it's not the well that calls for a physician. He acknowledged that there are, and I acknowledge, I'm a, y'all, I am fixing to be night, and on March the 24th, I will celebrate 19 years of living on this earth with somebody else's kidney in me. I don't care what anybody says, 19 years of somebody else's kidney sitting in here, sitting in me, and I'm like, Jesus, you have been good. I'm so thankful. This is something, and, and I, I'll just be honest, you know, did I, wanna, did I want the miraculous? Hey, God, you can create one right there. Make it, make it. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I was believing that, still am, still can. But right now, praise God, because of the faithfulness of men and women who have studied to show themselves approved, they figured out how to do that. I'm thankful for that. And so we acknowledge that. But all through that process, it was always, God, what are you saying? What do you want to do? God, what are you saying? What do you want to do? So our pursuit is always. Matter of fact, when I talked to the head surgeon at Mayo Clinic down in Jacksonville, I told him, I said, his name was Steve. I don't remember his last name. I I said, hey, man, just so you know, man, I love what y'all do. Man, this place is incredible. I said, but you're actually in the bullpen. He said, what? I said, well, God's pitching right now. And he may just decide to put a new one right there and go, boop. Oh, (laughs) hey, I don't need y'all anymore. I said, but right now he's pitching. And if he needs to call y'all in, I'm perfectly capable. Like, yeah. And, And you know what he looked at me? He said, I'm a believer too. And he said, I want to tell you, if I was in your situation, I'd stay right there. I said, I'm going to stay right there. So it's not a matter of saying I'm going to eliminate this God process. It's no, even in the midst of it, God, you still do this. You work in all kind of ways. And so that's one is our pursuit. Secondly, in all of these situations, in our situation, it's persistence. We need persistence. And I believe with all my heart This is where, for me, many times, I I can give up and I can let go sometimes way too soon. And it's because we get tired. It's because we deal with this physical body, this flesh, that we go through things and we get emotionally tired, we get physically tired, and then we become kind of lax. And I believe God in all of these situations. I think of a Jacob that says, I ain't letting go. I know I need help. And I don't care. I'm going to grab a hold of you, and I'm not letting go. And he's limping. <laughs> he had to get a limp because of it, but he wasn't let go. I think of, of blind Bartimaeus. They were sitting telling him to hush up, man, shh. And he said, I ain't going to be shushed. I need Jesus. I don't know about you. I don't even know who you are. I can't even see you, but you're not going to keep me from getting to him. So he didn't allow that. He, kept, he was persistent. And, in the, and I think of in the, 
the context of the paralyzed man, he couldn't even get to Jesus. He couldn't even be by the roadside. It took four incredible friends that said, hey, don't worry, we got you. We're going to help you walk through this. Matter of fact, we'll get you to Jesus. They get there, see it's all full, and they didn't, they didn't go and say, hey, <laughs> hey man, they, he didn't give his name mentioned in the Bible. He didn't go and say, hey, we'd like to help you, but it's all full, sorry. <laughs> they didn't stop. They said, we're going to get you there. We're going to do what we got to, even if it means we're going to tear this roof off. <laughs> we'll get you there. It, and, and matter of fact, in that scripture, one of the things says, when Jesus saw their faith, he saw their faith. It moved him like, man, you're willing to go through the crowd. You're, man, you just dug through somebody's roof. <laughs> what? <laughs> we don't care what you think. We're getting them. And he did that. And then the final thing, pursuit, persistence. And then the final thing is perspective. Because, see, I know like me, many of us, when we go through things, we lose our perspective. When we get a diagnosis, when we get a letter in the mail that says someone wants to no longer be a part of our life. When we have a loved one or a little one that walks off and says, I, I, I don't want to be a part of you anymore. It hurts. It's real. And this is where it's called, God calls us to begin to get a perspective to go, I can't do it. I don't have the strength. I don't have the emotional fortitude. I don't have what I need to make this happen, but I know who does. And he calls us to come together. So I'll say perspective helps when we have other people on board with us. I need people around me that'll help me walk through things, that'll actually spend more time listening to me than telling me what I need to hear. Like, yes, I need the word, but can I share with you what I've got going on? Because in the church, many times, we want to tell people, you need to do this, 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 and this. <laughs> Instead of stopping and say, hey, now what's going on? What's happening? How's that going? Man, that must be rough. Hey, can I pray with you over this? Instead of me taking, even as a pastor, when I go in and I visit people, I'm like, okay, so what's going on? Let me assess it and then do that. Perspective comes from understanding that we live in a fallen world we live among a broken people, but we have a Savior that has restored everything. And I've got to look to the restorer. I've got to look to the Redeemer. I've got to look to the one that's done it all. And I've got to look to him because he will give it to me. This morning, it's the last Sunday of the month. And as always with the last Sunday of the month, we're going to take corporate communion together. If those of you who are watching online, if you want to, you can grab a cracker or some juice. If you got that there, whatever you got, I want you to use that. But this morning... I'm going to ask the men, if you would, to go ahead. Those that would like to participate in the communion meal, they're going to pass this out. And I want us to do this in this sense of remembering this is why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come into the world because of how good it was and because he just needed to add a little extra to it. <laughs> he came into the world because of how broken it was, because of how dysfunctional it was. Because of how messed up it was. Because man had begun to turn on man. We already saw in, in Genesis, we didn't turn there this morning, but where, where man had got so corrupt, where God had flooded the earth. And he said, I'll never do it again. Instead, what he did, he sent the ark in his son Jesus to say, you have salvation. You have healing. You have redemption through his son Jesus. 
And this is what we're invited to this morning. We're invited into this meal this morning as individuals and corporately as the body of Christ. The reason I say that is because as individuals, we go through things. Like I said, I struggle, you struggle, we all, we like to say we all have issues. And if you don't have issues, that's probably your biggest issue, but, um, but, but we all have them, and, but we all need each other to walk this out. That's why we're going to start a, this small group semester in a week, and we need to have, we got others that are still contemplating. You'll get a whole list of those next Sunday of where you can join. But for this morning, for this morning, I want us to participate in the meal that Jesus transformed all of humankind. Up until this point, we relied on the the blood of goats and bulls and we relied on animal sacrifice to take away sins. Jesus stepped in and said, no more, no more. I'm gonna break once and for all the power of sickness, sin and death. I'm gonna break it, but I'm not gonna do it with an animal. I'm gonna do it with my own blood. So when we were singing the lion and the lamb, he's fiercely pursuing each one of us, not in a scary way, but in a very empowering way. But he's also humble and meek enough to know what each one of us goes through, and he wants us to participate. So I'm going to ask you at this time, if you'll peel back that little thin layer on these little cups, and it can be a challenge, but you'll work it, it's there. And if you'll peel that back, and if you'll take... This which represents, this is a symbol of the body of Christ. We don't believe in transubstantiation here where it actually, we don't believe in cannibalism. Jesus, when he said, this is my body and this is my blood, he wasn't literally saying, you got to eat my body, eat my blood. He was saying, you got to understand that this bread that represents me and this wine that represents my body, this wine that represents my blood, I want you to do it as often as you do. Remember what I did for you. And so as we sit here just a moment, I want you to think that a perfect, spotless man that never sinned, was tempted in every way, never did anything wrong, gave his life for sinful people like me and you. And as you sit there this morning, think of everything you've ever done to either harm your family or everything that's been done to you and everything that's happened. And remember, that's why Jesus did it. That's why he came, because I can't rightly deal with it, but he can. And so as you do that, I want you to think, Jesus said, do this and remember of him. We're remembering, Jesus, you did for me what I couldn't do for myself. You gave me forgiveness. You gave me life. You gave me power. You gave me power over sickness and sin and disease. You gave me the ability to forgive myself and to forgive others. Because of your life, I now have life. I want you to take all and eat. As they were at the Last Supper, after he had taken bread and broken, told them, this is my body given to you, he actually took the cup. And he said, this wine, this is the blood. This is my blood given shed for you for the new covenant. One cut not, like I said, with uh, blood of goats and bulls, but with his own blood, he gave it 
He gave it all, willingly, so we could have it all. So as you take this, drink in forgiveness, drink in love, drink in uh, life, drink in the fountain that Jesus provides for us. So there again, we can have that pursuit. We can have that persistence. We can have that perspective. Take all and drink.